From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, September 22nd. Grand County commissioners want to complete a proposal for federal public lands legislation by the end of this year. Their current draft proposal calls for five national conservation areas within Grand County's boundaries, from the Bookcliffs area to Labyrinth along the Green River and even the LaSalle Mountains. I think we have two pretty non-controversial motivations for doing this. Commissioner Kevin Walker speaking on KZMU's This Week in Moab earlier this month. He says the tentative proposal would create conservation areas on federal lands that either have high visitation or contain outstanding scenic, cultural, and wildlife resources. One is we want to make sure that future generations enjoy a landscape that's just as great as the one Mm -hmm. that we enjoy today. And he says there's another reason for creating public lands legislation. Most of the land currently proposed by commissioners for national conservation area status is managed by agencies like the Bureau of Land Management. Walker says the BLM doesn't have enough staff for the amount of visitors in this area. He says the local agency could potentially get more funding to shore up its resources if NCA status was granted. We've got hundreds of thousands of acres of pristine or or semi-pristine lands that are very popular, very scenic, get a lot of visitation. And the local BLM office does not have sufficient resources to manage them very well. And so one, one thing we would like to do with the bill is try to make it so that we have more resources, i.e. more money, to hire more people to manage the crowds and make sure that the scenery is being preserved. Commissioner Walker points out that national conservation areas are flexible designations. They can contain everything from motorized recreation focus areas to designated wilderness. And they don't preempt existing mineral leases, but they do typically prohibit future ones. I think of a national conservation area as being sort of a a blank sheet of paper. And saying that we're designating a national conservation area, you know, you're deciding that this area needs enhanced management. I, I don't know of any national conservation areas that are open to like hard rock mining or new oil and gas leasing. So you're probably mm-hmm. making some decisions about that, but you're definitely not making decisions about motorized recreation or non-motorized. You know, there are NCAs that have motorized recreation emphasis areas within them. In addition to the five proposed national conservation areas within Grand County, commissioners would also like to see a slight expansion of Arches National Park for the Lost Springs and Salt Valley areas. But one of the first steps in this proposal is soliciting public input. You can find ways to comment, including an online survey at grandcountyutah.net. Click on the Public Lands Bill Process tab at the top of the page. Commissioners hope to establish a solid public lands bill proposal that could eventually be sponsored by Representative John Curtis in Congress. In 2017, Vancouver, Canada became the first North American city to enact a tax on residential properties sitting vacant for more than half the year. The goal is to return vacant homes to the local rental market and raise revenue for affordable housing projects. Kyle Mackey of KHOL Jackson reports on how some Western towns are now eyeing early signs of Vancouver's success. In the mid-2010s, Vancouver was faced with what the city's director of housing policy and regulation, Dan Garrison, describes as an existential crisis. 
we were having a really intense public debate about these housing challenges and about uh, how we could address the rising cost of housing relative to incomes. Are we still going to be able to be a place where sort of normal people live and work, or are we becoming a resort? Around this time, the city also started to notice that some properties that could have been rented out were being left vacant most of the time. It's almost like wasting food in a time of abundance isn't that big of a deal, but wasting food when people are starving is, right? So the city worked with the provincial government and developed a first-of-its-kind tax on residential properties that are vacant for more than six months of the year. The tax rate started at 1% of a property's assessed taxable value in 2017 and will be raised to 3% for 2021. Julia Aspinall is Vancouver's Director of Financial Services. The average price for a condo is about like 800000 so 1% is 8000 And then average single home using $2.5 million, that'd be $25,000. Aspinall says it's critical for her department to be fair in how it administers the tax. That means every residential property has to declare its occupancy status annually. If owners fail to do so, the fee gets rolled over onto their property taxes. There's a robust appeals process, several exemptions, and random audits. But Aspinall says about 99% of owners declare on time. There's also evidence that the tax is making progress on its main objective. Our primary goal is not to generate revenue. It's to have that housing returned into use. However, if you do have people that can afford to own property in a city like Vancouver and leave it sitting vacant, then we think it's reasonable that they pay a a tax that goes into contributing to addressing our housing problems. More than 7,000 formerly vacant properties have become tenanted since the tax went into effect in 2017. That means they've either become primary residences or now have renters. $61.3 million in tax revenue has also been allocated for affordable housing projects. Those figures sound pretty appealing to some Western mountain towns. The Band-Aid has been like totally ripped off. It's only going to get worse if we don't take drastic action. And and get taxed like this in the big scheme of things, like isn't that drastic in terms of the amount of money flowing through this community? William Dujardin is a recently resigned member of the town council in Crested Butte where residents will vote on a vacancy tax in November. Colorado tax law doesn't allow the town to charge a percentage based on property value, so the tax will be a flat fee of $2,500, far lower than the amounts paid in Vancouver. The ballot measure is also tied to a half percent increase in local sales tax, which Dujardin says was a way to bring the community together. They are linked in efforts to bring enough second homeowners along that locals were okay with voting on it and not feeling like they were just taxing people who don't have a vote. Some elected officials would also like to see a vacancy tax in Jackson, Wyoming. But that's easier said than done, as State Representative Mike Yin learned last year. So I got more vitriol from that 2020 bill than I've gotten from any other piece of legislation that I've ever been sponsored or co-sponsored on. Yin and two fellow Teton County state legislators proposed an optional unoccupied home fee that Wyoming counties could opt into. But it didn't make it out of committee in a legislature that's notoriously anti-tax. Garrison from Vancouver also cautions that no vacancy tax is a silver bullet. The empty homes tax has not suddenly turned Vancouver into an affordable city. But It has reduced the number of vacant properties in the city. It has increased the amount of rental housing available to people in the city. The fact that the tax hasn't solved the entire problem 
isn't a very good reason to not try to solve the problem that it's tried to solve. In Crested Butte, Dujardin is hopeful the vacancy tax will pass. Unfortunately, he won't be around to see its impact. The former city councilman is moving to Salt Lake City, where he and his fiancée believe they have a better chance of affording a home they can start a family in. For KHOL and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Kyle Mackey. This story is part of a collaboration between Rocky Mountain Community Radio and the Solutions Journalism Network, highlighting affordable housing solutions across the Mountain West. As we reported in the newscast just yesterday, over 700 Indigenous people have gone missing in Wyoming over the last decade. But none of those cases have garnered the same media attention or urgency from law enforcement as the case of Gabby Petito. Wyoming Public Radio's Camila Kudelska has this story. Lynette Grable is a northern Arapaho tribal member and leading voice on Wyoming's efforts to address missing and murdered Indigenous women. Kind of... um Quarantine. When we look at a white woman who goes missing and um, and is able to get so much media attention. Since the year 2000, Indigenous people have made up 21 percent of homicides in Wyoming, even though only three percent of the population is Indigenous. A report released in January noted that only 30 percent of Indigenous homicide victims had any media coverage. That number is closer to 51 percent for whites. Grable adds that solving crimes in Indian country is complicated by a lack of communication between federal and tribal law enforcement. She hopes this obvious discrepancy can help missing Indigenous women get the same attention and urgency in the future. I'm Camila Kodalska at the Center of the West in Cody. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, September 22nd. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.